Speaking of reliability, a podcast with good friends talking with you about reliability engineering topics. Welcome to Speaking of Reliability. This is Fred Schenkelberg. And this is Chris Jackson. And Fred and I were just talking about how remarkably similar reliability engineering and good marketing is. Now, I just heard a bunch of phones get disconnected. No, really, it is. (laughs) It's in a. What brought this to my mind is that when I've seen people or somebody will send me their presentation and they're like a new consultant or they are doing a a evening meeting presentation or whatever, and they want me to take a quick look at it. And I says, why are you spending five minutes of your 20 minutes talking about what kind of building you work out of and how expensive your phone is and that, you know, you always fly first class really don't care. (laughs) You know, how about you actually talk about the topic you came here to talk about? You're in the building. You're, they, your resume doesn't matter anymore. Go, ahead, go away. Stop that. You're here to add value. Um, and I don't know where that sparked for you, Chris, that that's like marketing. But Well, I mean, it's just a, for me, it's been a slow evolution in terms of how I try to explain the topics to not only students, but people who need to listen to my reliability engineering nonsense. But it picked up when I was speaking to my wife, who's a videographer and who's creating, is often tasked with creating uh, ad campaigns or, um, or promotional videos for different clients. And of course, she has many stories where she has problems with clients who essentially say, we want you to create a marketing video. You go, that's fantastic. Let me go and do that. And they say, well, it's got to have this, 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 and this, and this, and this, and this, and this in it. And it has to have this logo. We have to have our vision and everything else. And 30 go, seconds. <laughs> right. And. Then what do you need me for? Yeah. And one of the things I was just saying to her, I said, look, the challenge you're facing is actually very similar to the challenge I face and people who I work with face when it comes to trying to, uh, trying to get the message across. And people, for example, what's the call to action? Call to action is like a buzzword that people think, yeah, you have to have a call to action. And I was reading some of the some of the stuff that my content, my wife got last night. And one of the things that client was insisting was we need to have a call about call to action. So at the end, make sure you include, uh, please call da 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 or email da 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 to. Uh, at this particular address or something like that. And I mm-hmm. said, that's not a call to action. That's just a call. Where's the action bit? Um, it's, it's not, it needs to be something along the lines of, if you need help finding that perfect job, call this. Or if you need yeah. help living independently at home, click it on started that. here. Um, yeah. Or come visit us or it's uh, yeah, there's all, it has to have something that ties into their need or want. And for reliability right. engineering, we often get, oh, just run all these tests. You'll be fine. You're a reliability engineer. And I I, remember, I know I've told this story before. It's like, well, no, I'd start talking with the development engineers, design engineers. Oh, no, you're not allowed to talk to them. Okay, well, <laughs> then this is not going to work. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not going right. to. Uh, I mean, and some of the techniques I use tend to be really similar to uh, to the, the marketing piece. And, and like, for example, again, with my wife last night, 
you said, well, for each one of these marketing videos, let's describe the person, not only describe the person, let's personalize this person and give her, him or her a name and say, okay, well, if this video is intending to try and grab the attention of this person and get them to call you, and this person, let's just say it's a, someone who's, uh, you're trying to offer community-based or free uh, training to help them get the next job and also you're going to offer them uh, resume services and, and, and again, free career mentors to help them manage job leads and everything else. So it's a wonderful service, a wonderful free service to help people who are struggling. But that's the point. And we came up with a completely fictitious person. We called her Barbara and said, well, Barbara's, if she's going to use these services, if she's your, if she's going to be the one, she's obviously one, unemployed, two, has some issues with literacy, math or computer, um, uh, com- uh, what's the word I'm looking for, computer skills. Or, yeah, uh, or even just interview skills. Sometimes that's right. a barrier. You might be the perfect candidate for the job, but don't have a you're not confident to answer questions and describe yourself. There's all kinds of reasons for it, but you're saying then the ad should be something that that person would recognize. That's me. They can help me, you know, kind of thing. Whereas reliability, we often get, well, where's this product going to be used? Oh, everybody's going to use it. Well, I doubt that. Um, Who's going to use it and how, you know, our use profiles and environmental conditions come from understanding Who's this Barbara and where's she, where, what, how does she go through the world and would interact with our product? And right. if you don't understand that, you, you're missing a fourth of the reliability definition. Right. And I think we just had a conversation where I use characters from National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation movie to help flesh out the use case for the smart lock I use in my courses. And- you know, that just tainted that whole you've been using that smart lock for years and I've enjoyed it and all the discussions on it, but now it's tied to national lampoon. I just, I'm going to be smirking. <laughs> well, Na- national lampoon's Christmas vacation is one of the greatest movies of all time. Everyone knows that <laughs> how it didn't win uh, two dozen Academy awards is beyond me. It was, yeah. but uh, it's a staple in our house around come Christmas. Yeah, well, um, no, I agree. But it's, it's just funny. It's but <laughs> the idea is, is valid is that you get a personification uh, of, you know, instead of doing a bar chart where, you know, half our population is along coastal regions and, and a, and a third is at alt- elevation of this so much and above, and some are in hot human environments, some are in this environment, and you can do a Pareto breakdown of where your customers for these different features are and so on. All right, great. How many actually use it outside? Well, we don't know that. They just live here. <laughs> you know, how do they, how many times, I remember one time I asked this game company, I was like, how many times does a person push the trigger button to shoot things? And they had no idea. Well, how do you know how many, how do you know what the criteria is of how long this button's supposed to last? How many interactions can you do? Uh, well, we use the vendor spec and it says a million cycles. So we test it to a million cycles. And I said, do you work for the vendor? Are you trying to prove their data sheet? Is that what you're trying to do? How about how does your customer actually use it? And let's figure that one out. And, and there was a way to do it. And they were like, oh, oh, we have to do the customers, not the data sheet? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's it, just, and, was, and the hard part was these guys intuitively knew that there was, you know, first-time gamers, experienced gamers, and pros. And they all behave very differently with their product. 
Right. But they didn't know how to quantify it. They hadn't thought that through. Why would that ever be important? And so part of the marketing of that service, the pitch for we need to do this study, um, was this is why it makes value. It helps us design a better product and make better decisions. And like, oh, okay, I get that. And then we went off and did it. But if you can't connect what you're trying to do to a customer or a use condition or a case like that, it's hard to see how it's important. Right. And I think one of the best ways to make it feel important is to give that person a name. And so you can have the demographics or 30% coastal, 40% alpine, 50% you know, office or whatever it is. Yep. But we want to use the three characters from National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation to obviously get the smirk going on Fred, but to actually try and design <laughs> a good smart lock. Clark, number one, he is a farmer. He wants his smart lock to be on a barn so his farm hands, his employees can uh, not only safely access but then secure secure the barn without having to have keys all across the countryside. And, of course, when, a, when an employee leaves, he doesn't have to trace him down for a key. He just removes his coat. Person number two, Ellen, she's a homemaker. She wants a smart lock for a domestic setting for a, for our host house that she lives on house that's built on a cul-de-sac three aunt bethany she's using a she's an elderly lady elderly lady who's not an idiot by any stretch but it wants the smart lock to help with accessibility problems and of course is not as tech savvy as you know, a generation z or generation z gamer for example <laughs> and if you go through a day in the life of clark ellen and aunt bethany and then you take all the let's just say the most stringent or you know envelope pushing uses for each one and combine that into a single use case you've got a really useful it's it's, a, it's amazingly useful how that it, how effective that combined use case becomes and so okay so this smart lock needs to be used up to 10 times a day because that's on average how much clark's going to use that or clark's employee is going to use that smart lock and it's mm -hmm. more than ellen's and aunt bethany's oh aunt bethany accessibility so she we need to have the the, the uh, let's make sure that the pin the there are the keypads that the the buttons are aren't too small and or uh, or and the activation forces are, are, are workable for for an elderly person who doesn't have the same strength she did 40 years ago etc 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 and all of a sudden you got a pretty useful description of how this thing's going to use and about two dozen design ideas ready to go without having to actually do any design designing. Yeah. Yeah, and I've seen it's like a like an encyclopedic listing of environmental conditions. Well, it's you know high of forty degrees C and a low of minus ten, and blah 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 blah. And I'm like, okay, I, it, I what am I going to do with that? And but connecting it to the day in the life of, you know, right. various and I call it avatars uh, to various avatars. Then they, it's easier to remember. You can fill in the blanks because your brain loves stories you know, and, and we'll fill in the rest of that movie for you. If What else does that person do? What do they need? And so like uh, Aunt Bethany, it might be, well, if she's getting a delivery and they, and they need to get inside, she can give them a temporary code. Let's make that easy. So it's a one-time use code or, you know, a time frame code or some other feature that different than giving it to employees that each one has their own code system for it. But it's, it's a great technique to help visualize and understand and comprehend how your product's going to be used. You know, or for a marketing campaign is a great way for people to identify with 
oh, that's me. They can help me this way. All right, that's great. This is, they're talking to me kind of thing. But if you don't understand who they are or who the me is, um, it's really hard to write a good program for that. And, and it goes back to those presentations I was talking about. Somebody stands up and says, oh, we've worked in all these industries. We did all this cool stuff. We did all the other thing. If they happen to say, oh, if you worked for HP and we're at Dell, so if you can help them, you can help us. And maybe we'll learn some HP stuff along the way. They have to fill They have to work too hard to fill in the blanks and the connections and why are you talking to us kind of thing versus just saying, all right, here's a series of problems I'm sure that you're experiencing or, or you may be experiencing. Here's a way I can help you solve these things, which is a completely different way of advertising yourself or promoting yourself than saying, I work in a high rise building in a big city and therefore I must be important. Okay. So <laughs> it's like, Yes, right. I think you're touching the really important thing. How many times have we gone to a conference and then we listen to someone who's going to give us a revolutionary presentation on something they've talked they've they've talked about, well, or discovered or or used. Yeah. And instead, they start with the obligatory. Well, here's my name. Here's where I went here's to my school. Nominals. Yeah. Oh, my my biography is I did this, then I did that, and after that I did something else, then I did something different, and I did three other things on the way to me getting here. Yeah, and, and then I work, work at this. Here. I work here, and they did this, and they were started in right. 1982, and right in a garage. Here's a picture. Then... Here's a picture of their building now. That was a that was a. There's a garage. There's a building now, so you can see how awesome we are because we don't work in a garage anymore. Um, All right, I'm out of time. Any questions? Yeah, go. <laughs> And so one of the very important things I talk about to my wife is to say, look, you know, these videos is a big difference between saying what you want to say and saying what the person you're talking to needs to hear. And that's really important for business cases as well. I've seen so many reliability engineering business cases. I'll use that term broadly or mm -hmm. essentially an email or a document saying, can we please do this? And essentially it just turned, it's not a business case. It's just a document where, said reliability engineer has journaled stuff they've done and maybe if you look really hard at the end they say can we please do this um can you please we want to we want to buy a halt chamber and off, off we go and they spent like most most of these 20 pages of, of naf explaining you know uh, Holt was developed in blah, blah, blah. The H in Holt stands for this, and here is this, <laughs> as opposed to at the, at the, like the bottom line up front. Sir, we would like to purchase a Holt testing chamber for $125,000, fund an ongoing test, test uh, technician for um, $75,000 a year, because we believe that this will save us in the order of 2 to $3 million of warranty warranty costs over the next 10 year period per year i mean, better go per year otherwise that gets per year or whatever it is like, but. i'm already evaluating your presentation there but, the, <laughs> but, but yeah put the business case right up front and belay it all out and what's the you know cost benefit what's the value um and then fill in the blanks of going well how what's the connection between buying a chamber and running it and what does it do? It helps us identify right. potential failure mechanisms that would occur in the field. And here's studies that support it and blah, blah, blah. And you can go off and run it. I, but it's, yeah, we bury the lead, I guess, is another phrase way too often. Um, and yeah, there's things, you know, there's two reasons I think that 
reliability engineers need to have good friends with somebody in the marketing department. One is they're actually pretty good at understanding customers and what they do day in and day out. That's kind of a big part of their job is to understand customers' behavior and and what motivates them to make purchases and all kinds of other things. But tapping into them and saying, hey, look, I'm a reliability engineer and I need to know where Barbara lives and what she does and how often she would use our product and what what's the consequence of the product doesn't work for her. And I also need to know Clark's story too. He's, you know, here's a different way to, who's out there that's using it and can you describe them to us and our team so we under, we can fill in the blanks of make it work for Barbara and Clark and Aunt Banthony. But the, the other part is the marketing guys they often get the nicer offices and better donuts. So I think they're doing something different to get their budget. <laughs> so when you have a proposal that's important, run it past your buddy over lunch, you know, and saying, hey, how does this come across? How can I improve this so that I can influence the behavior of the person holding the purse strings so I get my new halt chamber? And we can. And I bet you you get some pretty insightful uh, feedback on it because that's what they do. Right. Well, I mean, it's, it's absolutely vital to understand. Let's give the, the decision maker a name. Let's say his name's Greg. Okay. Has Greg been burnt because of, you know, aftermarket costs for his product over the last five years? Has he, is he, or conversely, is he trying to impress the next hire up with, you know, actually taking stuff seriously or whatever? Because the answer to those questions can be, very can really influence what it is you're trying to say. So, hey, Greg, I need you to spend spend this much money on this, and the benefit for you is going to be a likely reduction in in fuel failures by a, a, a good guess is seventy five percent, or you know, if yeah, whatever if the number is, yeah, right. And and then that's the first sentence, and then the next sentence is you explain what halt is and what it means. So, halt halt involves you know pushing prototypes to and beyond their design limits in order for us to find the weak points, which allow us to design those weak points out of the product early in the design process, saving tons of time and money. Here's a couple of examples. Just, you know, just yep. sort of build a bit of credibility, but you only start building credibility once Greg knows why he's reading past the first sentence. Yep. yep. Oh, this could save me a ton of money. Oh, okay. I get All that. Right, so. Or I, I've often used, because some budgets or some development teams are flush with money. That, you know, and they're not worried about warranty. That's not part of their budget. And so they're they're looking at, can we ship it on time? Consumer products are notorious for this. Can we launch on time? And if we get delayed a month, that's going to cost them a fortune and they won't get they won't get promoted. They won't get their next project. So it's same argument is what's important to them. And then how does how does your proposal assist them in achieving their goals? And mm-hmm. so you got to understand what Greg wants. And sometimes you just ask them what's important. And then you follow what they actually do. <laughs> you know, like a marketing uh, technician is, you know, following customers through the store. It's kind of it sounds creepy, but is how do they, what do they look at and what do they put in their cart? It's, and they might wow. tell you they really like Dove shampoo, but they pick the, uh, I don't know, some other brand instead. And it's something is different between what they like and what they do. And so I found that is a hard part in underst- and that's why I would almost always go to a marketing friend and say, Hey, I don't quite understand what's the be- behind this. What's the motivation. And 
they usually have a pretty good story about it. Maybe it's just their marketing uh, wiles. I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I agree with you. It's the doing a named avatar and, and flushing that out is way more useful in a designer's mind when they're trying to figure out, well, what's the range of temperatures I got to work with? You can give them two numbers and they're not hard and fast. If it's at lower spec is at 10 C and, and somebody goes outside in a colder day and it's at nine C, it doesn't mean the product's going to immediately fail. Our designers aren't that good. Our materials are not that precise. Our, our systems aren't that, it's not eutectic at, pre-certified, you know, pre-selected temperatures. Um, but understanding that it's, you know, they live in, in the, in, uh, North Dakota at the, uh, Clark's farm and, and yeah, it could get to minus 30. Uh, doesn't much matter if it's Celsius or Fahrenheit about that point. And it's just <laughs> cold, <laughs> you know, yeah. so that smart lock better work. Yeah, better not the expansion of those materials better not be too much right it's not just the expansion it's the cyclic stresses as well so yep. but yeah, all you want to do is start the start the conversation i find too many times when you just list demographics say oh 50 percent will be here and 20 percent will be there and the mountains all of a sudden just becomes numbers on a spreadsheet yep. if you give them names for whatever reason that just flicks a switch in many people's brains and they can start living through the um through the experiences of that those people and all of a sudden it's just i don't know i just find it i think many people actually find it liberating but um again you, you need to be a good at marketing uh there's how many embedded reliability engineers have we come across they say no one listens to me yep i go you know you look at them and some of the stuff they say actually makes sense from a very theoretical perspective in terms of it being largely beneficial but when you when you explain it to you, you can tell that they can't explain it to other people. And the only reason I'm getting it, you're getting it, Fred, is because we know what the definition of that word word is, or we know where they're going with this idea. But that's that's uh, as opposed as opposed to actually working out what the decision maker needs to needs to hear. They just focus on what they want to say, and quite and very yeah. often they become embittered because no one listens to them. Yeah. Now it reminds me of a. Um, it was one of these deals where you just really wanted to show off your expertise. So you spotted, oh, it's the PDF of this and it's the derivation of that. And we used the third order uh, cubic uh, transforms on this. And then we did a box Cox transformation. And then we pulled the cat out of our hat. And, and now we have a cool new uh, uh, Weibull plot. And nobody understands what the hell that means. <laughs> You know, so right. I'd say, all right, here's a Weibull plot. It's an, in a, in a, I wouldn't even say it's an accumulative distribution function. So here it goes from, here's the probability of it failing when it's one day old. And here's the probability of failing when it's 10 year days old. And they go, oh, that's easy. And so I started after I did that the first time I ran into a handful of people. Well, my boss doesn't understand a Weibull plot. Well, stop trying to explain it to him. You know, what are they looking for? How many will last for the the duration of our warranty period? Right here. They can follow that line up to this line and go across. They understand basic regression plots. That's basic. You know, show them how to read it. And that's it. They don't need the derivations. They don't need the formula. They don't need to know if you did a maximum likelihood under the fourth order circuit of the moon, anything. You don't just 
here's here's the plot. Here's how you read it. Well, the thing about you know Bible plots is that there's no reason why you can't convert that back into essentially a reliability curve or a failure. Oh yeah, curve, it's just any curve. kind of curve. I like right. straight lines myself. I go up to the right, but that's that's just me. But it, but that's but the I I do Bible plotting. As often as anyone does, that's probably a big call. But I do do a fair bit of it, and mm-hmm. I teach a fair bit of it. And I don't I don't always show the wobble plot um, to the decision maker. I, the, most most of the time, I show the wobble plot. It's to to I to sh- the, the message I want to want to purvey is that we have a good fit, so to speak, in the wobble plot. Show if you have a good fit or not, or if you're using the wobble plot to explain. You can see we transition from uh, wearing or constant hazard rate to wear out. You can see it's right there at two years. And well, then I might yeah, explain. It, well, I agree with you. It, it depends on the story you're trying to tell, what, what you show right. and what table yeah. and stuff. If somebody just wants the MTBF number, then I brush up my resume and go out and go find somebody else to talk to. <laughs> but it's it, it part of it is is that uh, the paper, we, you know, one of the last papers I saw at a conference, a recent paper I saw at a conference was. And then we started with the proof of addition. And then we worked our way up to long division. And then eventually we came up with this novel new idea of calculus. And, and then there's a history of that. And there's these two guys that competed over whether it serves or that or whatever. And that got developed. And, and now we have computers to do it. And I, here's the code that goes into the algorithms and doing this stuff. And it's big math and stuff. It's really fun. And finally, here's how we do a plot. And some people in the old days did it by hand, but that's boring. So, and, and where's the, what are you studying? Where's this data come from? What's the conclusion you're drawing from? What's the assumptions you're making? What, come on, what do you, who cares? There's a whole series of books there. Um, and the books famously start with, and then Alaska was formed with these tectonic plates shoving into each other and creating this mountain range and doing this and this land bridge. And over thousands of years, it did this and this and this and this stuff. And then people showed up. And then it, then the book's about halfway done. And then, it, and then it got interesting because then there's people doing things. But it was, but he has a whole series of these books that start with, and the land was formed with these forces and this history and the moon shifted this thing out of the way. And, and it was like... And the whole point was is that this the understanding of the geological formation of an area and how, the way it formed and how it formed and why rivers are where they are and why tides are like they are shaped how people survive there. And that's the gist of his these these books he's doing. But they famously start with, and then the earth started to cool off. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I don't know where this is going, but they ended up being pretty good, pretty fascinating. Yep. But that's, I mean, that's not out. We don't have that much time. We don't get 600 pages to explain the formation of steel to prove right. that our spring constant is correct. Uh, that's that's fine. But I, I just, I've, and I've sat in some of those presentations too where they go back, you know, to the dawn of time, but it's done for a purpose. It's, you know, it's to, to engage or, or get people to wonder about the amazement of the physical world around us and then yeah, if I'm in a, you to somebody else. If I'm in an engineering history symposium, that's eh, great. But if I'm talking to my boss and I got five minutes to get $100 million oh, yeah, for him right. for my new lab, eh, it ain't going to work. Right. So, but what's your, again, what, what's your boss, Greg? What's keeping him or her up at night? Is it, yeah. is it being on time or on budget? Because you could argue for Hulk testing, for example, we're picking on Hulk, right? Yeah. Um, uh, 
We're not picking Hulk, at it. We're so, promoting Hulk. You got to use the right, right. words for this marketing thing. Yeah, okay. But we're not, I suppose when I say picking on it, we're not ad, advocating for Hulk to the exclusion of lots of other DFR activities. But I think it's a good example. Yeah. You might say, hey, Greg, we want you to spend $200,000 in total on a Holt test chamber because it's going to reduce fuel failures moving forward by what we think about 75%. That's with that's if Greg's concerned about fuel failure rates. Or you might say, hey, Greg, we want you to spend $200,000 on a Holt testing chamber because we believe that this will remediate many of the historical delays we see at traditional design milestones because yeah. that might be the thing that is keeping Greg up at night. Yeah. Um, you, the same you're asking for the same thing but you're the the why the hook for the decision maker is very very different and by the way Holt can usually do both of those things it can really help yep. you uh plow through your milestones faster than you'd expect because you're preventing problems before they become problems for you to admire in a design review board uh, yep. or, or, the day before you ship yeah yep and uh of course because you've if you fundamentally got fundamentally have a more robust design, your thing is going to last longer. So you're going to have fewer fuel failures, but you might need to couch it in different ways depending on what it is that Greg is most fascinated by. Yeah, it, but it circles all the way back to the story you're talking about with your wife on her project. Is you got to understand that person, that avatar, that individual, and their what are, what will resonate with them, and and you know, instead of showing a picture of their building, show a picture of a happy client walking out with a new job. <laughs> you right. Know? You know, I, I'm thinking of the. You don't show the the storefront of a florist shop without anybody going in or out or smiling or anything else. And usually, you see it with a person walking out with a great big five hundred dollar bouquet, you know, and smiling like that was the best shop ever. I got this. They don't just show the building and then a close up of the phone number and the address and and you know call us. Okay, why? <laughs> it's like, show them coming out of the door. Right. I'm sure your wife understands that part of it. But it's the, yeah. So anyway, I don't know if we convinced anybody that reliability and engineering and marketing are this, are similar or the same uh, or whatever. But we can learn a lot simple. from marketing skills and techniques. And it's all back to communicating and communicating effectively. And that's what marketing people do. They understand the market. They understand the customers. They understand what motivates them. We need to do the same. Our customers might be internal or they might be a client or whatever, but we need to understand that to just create a good product or, or to get a proposal through for a new hope, a piece of equipment. So. Absolutely. So here to help. But again, if you more about what you want to say, then it's all about you and you venting or using that brief as a coping mechanism or what have you, <laughs> as opposed to getting what you need and getting things done. Yeah. Kind of thing. Right. All right. Well, we kind of went over our 32nd budget on this one. So it's uh, yeah. So if anybody's got, you know, some thoughts, uh, you know, what's some good reliability engineering marketing hacks that might be the right first, or maybe that's to <laughs> like 2018 or something. I don't know what, if hacks are still a thing, but anyway, if you've got some ideas on how to improve our lot at doing marketing type stuff, let us know. We're over at ascendoreliability.com slash go slash SOR in a couple ways you can find us there. And then uh, Chris and I are available as the other hosts are on LinkedIn and our about pages on Ascendo. So, you know, I'm not going to look at ads the same way anymore. I'm going to be trying to figure out what <laughs> they named their avatars behind it. 
Right. Fred, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. That, it, that would be nice. I'll name them all Fred. Diane will get mad at me. So, anyway, we'll talk to you soon. Take care, Chris. You too, Fred. Always a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Speaking of Reliability. We invite you to join the conversation if you have a question or a topic that you think we should discuss in a future show, please let us know. You can find a comment box below the episode show notes or just leave a note as part of a review on iTunes.